Good day, y'all. It's Dave from the Big Red F Restaurant Group, based out of my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in to the F Club Podcast, where we sit and have interesting conversations with all kinds of interesting folks doing all kinds of interesting things. Today I'm talking to my friend Eric Skokin. Eric and I met, man, 23, 24 years ago. Met him and Jill up at the Gold Lake Ranch. They were running Alice's Restaurant, running the ranch. Really, really just salt-of-the-earth people. Um, talking to Eric about the life of running restaurants and farming and being a parent and all the different challenges we've been through. I have waxed on and on about these two over the years in articles and in conversations. Running a restaurant is a life-consuming endeavor. Add to that growing all your own produce, raising all your own animals, the staging and the calendar work and the planting and the harvesting and all the things that need to come into play. You know, we all brag about how hard it is just running a restaurant. It is a whole new realm what these two do and have done for so long, family affair. You know, if you're a fly fisherman and you only fish with the flies you tie yourself, well, that's awesome. I don't have that kind of time. If you have sailed around the world or even around your home lake in a boat you made that took you two years to make, amazing. That's so great to play a guitar that you handcrafted and spent the time to make and, and put together. It's kind of a one-time event building these passionate projects and then you play it, you sail it, you fish it. But with farming, it's every morning. I got chased around the farm by a goose this morning and their dog, had a big hole in its face from a fight it got with a coyote last night and just this farming life running restaurant life and dealing with all the things that come with that it's just these two these two are amazing so this is my conversation with eric and i hope you enjoy sitting out here at black cat farm with my friend eric skoken chef farmer businessman, father, husband, many things that we all take claim to. Him maybe more than others, though. So thanks for agreeing in your busy schedule, Eric, to sit down. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So it's March 2020. We've kind of asked everybody this same question, but you have a different perspective into how all of this affected you. You got a full head of steam, you're heading into the planning schedule, your animal schedules, your farmer's markets, and managing your two boulder restaurant, the restaurant and the bar. What was it like and what happened for you? And give us some idea of what the pivot was for somebody who runs restaurant, who also, the restaurants are so tied into the universal calendar of weather and farm and availability and harvest and planting and, and all of that. How did, how did March hit you guys? I did not sleep a lot in March. I, I remember lying uh, in bed awake, you know, just like all of this stuff sort of running through my head, you know, around and around in circles. Yeah. And like you said, you know, March is like a point at which I, you know, I've been planning the coming year all winter long. And in March is the that point. It's kind of like new menu day where, you know, you've been you know, planning and, and doing, and you've trained people up and you have all the ingredients have finally arrived. And, and so you start to, you know, go through everything and then the bomb goes off. Right. And, you know, I had been, you know, I'm kind of a news junkie. So I had been reading about and paying attention to 
the virus all the way through February. You know, I had this sort of feeling that it was going to end up being bad. And I don't know if you remember way back then, the news was all about supply chain disruption. Sure. And that never really affected us in the restaurant or in the farm. But I, I realized how how big the virus was going to end up being then. And so I started, you know, revising, you know, all of the plans and started, you know, I was lying in bed awake thinking, all right, what if, you know, what is it going to look like? And, you know, what, you know, and I'd start each one of those times. Nighttime terror sessions, we call them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> By thinking, all right, what is the absolute most important thing that needs to happen? And then what's the number two most important thing? You whittle everything down into this little core group of things, you know, protect my family, make sure that at the back end of this thing that we have a path moving forward, you know, that we have like some way when I'm in my 60s and 70s that I need to be able to provide for my family, you know, out into the future. We all have this, that core group of employees, people that we've been working with for, you know, in my case, for a decade and a half that have killed themselves for us and need to be protected. You know, I was thinking, all right, how do I create a nugget of something that can make it through this whole thing that can provide for my family, keep the farm going, pay the mortgage, you know, keep that that core group of people employed and protected as 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 best as I could. You know, everybody had a lot of the same ideas. You know, all right, well, we're going to do takeout and we're going to do, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I think I realized really early on that takeout was going to be a loser, that everybody was going to do takeout at the same time. And frankly, our customers don't really like takeout and we don't do it well. Like... Uh, I order takeout Chinese and, you know, they do it really well. And that's what my expectation is. And it costs, you know, 10 bucks or whatever, you know, but that math doesn't work, you know, really well for what we do. So I knew I needed to come up with a bunch of other ideas. So basically sat down, you know, pulled the whole staff together on March 1st. So this is about two weeks or so before the closure happened pulled the farm staff together, pulled the restaurant staff together and said, you know, hey, this is this is going to happen. It's going to look really, really bad. I want you guys to get your financial house in order. We're probably going to have really severe pay cuts, you know, happening. It's going to look ugly, but we're going to we're going to try to keep moving forward as best we can. You know, basically did the same thing with the farm staff, told everyone that every everyone basically would be working on reduced hours and it was really difficult conversations for everyone you know we lost a couple staff staff members because of that but with some of the staff we got a lot of buy-in interestingly we we got no buy-in from some of the staff who stayed with us they were still you know in a suspended disbelief you know uh, why can't why can't the old world come back sure you know kind of a thing or whatever we see that in sort of all aspects of our life. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and then, you know, so starting in, you know, first week of March, second week of March, I started working on, you know, as many, you know, like harebrained schemes to come up with something that was going to, you know, keep us going. We started up, you know, eight new businesses, essentially, all at the same time from, let's say, March 15th through 
May 15th, we just kept launching new businesses, knowing that the vast majority of everything that we did was going to fail or was going to be, at best, would be mediocre, mm-hmm. right? And my hope was, well, you know, if I put together six mediocre things, then maybe together that that's just enough that it can hold us together or whatever. Pieces and parts making the whole. Yeah. So what were the eight businesses, give or take? I started up two ghost restaurants. One of them, Bentana Maya, you know, from way, way back in the day, Salvadorian street food. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and my thinking in that one was that, you know, the Black Cat is not the sort of a restaurant that people are going to want to go food out of. You know, our format just doesn't. No, it doesn't, not even close. Yeah. Do you drive around the block eight times for the tasting menu? Yeah, right. Right. And then we and we bring everything out to your car <laughs> or whatever. You know, and that Bramble and Hare had, a, you know, a more appropriate, you know, to go menu. But that nothing that we were doing was really like, you know, a solid to go menu format. But I, we had done this Salvadoran street food, Bentana Maya restaurant out of the window when we we're in construction for the Black Cat. And the window being the old original empanada window that the old original. rocked on that 13th exactly. Street for yep. years. Yep. And I remember, you know, we had a line of, you know, like 40 people down the block at lunchtime yeah. uh, selling papooses and, and tamales and blah, blah, blah out of the window. And that was awesome. And I thought, you know what, that's great. You know, like a phoenix rising out of the ashes will bring... Bentana Maya back. And that was that was pretty good. It did some sales, but it was, you know, ultimately mediocre and it couldn't make it doesn't provide for everyone. Uh, but it was like one brick in in the construction of the whole. We did an online store provisions. I've never done that before. Uh, I had a, a sous chef and a sommelier and uh, a front weight and a dishwasher coding doing the the online doing stuff. all the online yeah. everybody you know, uh, learned stuff. a lot of new a lot of new tricks and trades this I, yeah and i we, one of our sous chefs is now like fully you know teaching himself how to do he's in the basement coding and coding and, uh, and all that kind of stuff which is <laughs> which is awesome right and that is a little bit of a silver lining so we did that we started planning on farm dinners that's that is still you know that's still ongoing right now we started mabel the farm truck we started our farm stand out at J Road and the diagonal. We had never, I'd never done that before. So that was, you know, jumping through. An aha moment of, holy shit, we could do this. Like, uh, Right. Yeah. And and it, and it turns out, wow, we have actually a great location. Yeah. To, that is a killer you know, location. To, yeah. to do it, right? You know, and then the regular, you know, to go and, you know, delivery and, you know, th- th- those sorts of things as well. Mabel was really fun. That was really, really good. One of the really hard things all the way through was that it seemed like the rules changed every three to six weeks, both in terms of the governmental rules, like, all right, here are the new restrictions. Now we're going to loosen up this or we're going to tighten up that or whatever. You know, mask wearing, you know, there, all those things were changing all the time, which is fine. But then the other thing is that customer expectations were changing about every three to six weeks. If you remember back in March when the bomb went off, no one wanted to go to a grocery store. Instacart exploded. You went from with Instacart, you know, having to wait, you know, 10 days to get a grocery delivery you know, right. to your house or whatever. People became 
you know, a little while later became more accustomed to some level of, of fear or whatever. We learned more about the virus and how to manage risk a little bit better. We also have all of us assume a greater level of risk now than we did prior to the virus. Um, just walking around, everybody today yeah. does. So that made Mabel not as successful. It was, it was wildly successful. It was insane for about two months until everyone started to get used to it. And then the need, you know, started to wane. There were some of our customers, you know, so I'm driving around in this old 1966 step van painted Mabel on the side, ringing ice cream truck bells, right, through the neighborhood. And, like, literally there would be uh, a little old person run out, their front door down their stoop in their pajamas waving in their bathrobe i haven't been to the grocery store i can't get anything on instacart wait let me go get my money don't don't go don't yeah, leave yeah, yeah. thank god right and it it and felt, were you selling produce and yeah we're selling produce we had a freezer inside you know we'd make like uh, pork green chili so it's all our ingredients mm-hmm. we would make that and we'd you know freeze it we were doing loaves of bread i had a case of toilet paper in the truck yeah. Right. Oh my God! You have to. You have toilet paper. That was crazy, right? And well, we in restaurants could get those sort of commodity items. Right. When nobody the else store, could. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> so crazy that we could get toilet paper. You know, you feel like a king, at least in terms of yeah. toilet paper. Yeah. Anyway, so that was how that all started, and then you know, sort of gradually, Mabel kind of went away. Now I don't know that there's as big of a need to do Mabel out in the neighborhoods and you know Instacart has you know they ramped up you know pretty quickly and they I think they do a pretty good job and other services like that. So some of those things lasted for a little while some like farm dinners or we're just trucking. We sell out every single night. We've been sold out since July. We open up one week at a time. It sells out. The next week we open up, it sells out. Mm-hmm. You know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, you, you can't, you know, farm dinners by itself is not enough to keep everything going because it's a really small number of total guests. Sure. Instead of doing two restaurants together, instead of doing 180 covers, we're doing 26. Right. Right. But 26 is enough to cover that core group of people. And you know who's coming. And- you know, they yep. prepay, and so yep. it does. Exactly, yeah. Does the price help. per person is great. And anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think if I were daunted by the failure, uh, I think I went into it knowing that I was all of these new businesses that we were trying out were going to fail. And the hope was that none of them had to be a savior. They just had to, you know, chip away at the, you know, massive amount of rent that we pay. Right. We just need some revenue that makes some sense and instead of losing big money every month if we could just you know slow the bleeding down and lose little money every month we've always been losing we've lost money every single month all the way through but a lot of the months have been you know almost negligible uh, some of them have been you know pretty pretty ugly but you string it all together and you know it's like not excellent but could be worse and you got ppp funding we got PPP funding. That was actually what you know really helped us expand out all these businesses. We went back to full employment. Actually, we had two more employees with the PPP funding than we had at the beginning. So we were better than full employment. Mm-hmm. And that was a period of time when that 
when the PPP loan money was there and available, you know, we were we were at break even or we were even I think one month we made a thousand dollars in a month. Wow. Yeah. That was insane. Yeah. Right. And of course that's all paper money, right? Sure. None of that. But but you know, the whole purpose was just to make a bridge, you know, help us get over to the other side or whatever. And I think we used that money, you know, really wisely. We kept the largest number of people employed. None of those people were making what they used to make. Every big pay cut for everybody. But, you know, I would have these conversations with the staff. Tell me about your rent. Tell me about your bills. Tell me about what you need. You're like, Eric, I need X in order to be able to survive. You tell me what X is, I'm going to kill myself to make sure that you get X. I can't get you your old wage, but I can part the Red Sea to make it happen that you can, you know, your rent is going to be paid and and you can keep going and, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. And you had these individual conversations with, with each With each employee. Yeah. I made sure that anybody who was on staff knew that we're, like, we're in it together. The communication through this has been huge. We've tried to do the same with our staff, and they have acknowledged really appreciating it. But just having those hard conversations really eases a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it does for... Apprehension. You know, pain. For, for most of the staff, but some of the staff still, you know, I, I, I really do want to make, uh, it w- would be really great to make, the, to make the pandemic go away. And for, you know, this old, you know, front weight person who was making, you know, 45 or $50 an hour, now they're making $28 an hour. Right. That's a massive pay cut for that person. Sure. But the restaurant's losing money every month. Right. Restaurant's celebrating a thousand dollar a month profit, which is really fa- false. Right, and I don't get paid. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of that. Yeah. I don't think it's entitlement, but a sort of disbelief that I, I you know, I was making fifty five or sixty dollars an hour, and I'm not going to come back at thirty eight dollars an hour. Yeah. We we reopened with tip pooling. Yep. Our Cooks are now making a great livable wage, but it was at a bit of the expense of the front of the house being a little more equitable and and all of us plowing ahead together. Yep. We've done the exact same thing. And, you know, you and I come from a cooking background and the disparity in wages between front and back. It's insane. It's always rubbed me the wrong way. It's always felt like a a teeter-totter weighted heavily, you know, to one side. And it turns out that moving forward, trying to be financially solvent, or at least to hold on, there's no other way than to tip pool. Well, and in our world, when we employ minorities, they work in the kitchen. 80% of our minority workforce, if not more, is going to work in the kitchen. And these are the folks that are, you know, making $15 an hour. So we've been able to get everybody up to $23, $24 an hour in the kitchen. Yeah. Dishwashers making, you know, over 20 bucks an hour, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. It's the way it should be. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that is where we are now. The front of the house staff takes out the trash. They hose out the trash. Yeah. Cans. There's a lot of hustle cleaning bathrooms right. and cleaning right. toilets yep. and washing windows. We're and, all in it together. Yeah. We're all in it yeah. together. Which uh, makes you wonder why we didn't sort of tackle that a little bit more ahead of time. You know, I think there were some visionary restaurants. Mountain Sun comes to mind. 
uh, where it, it's an all in it together. Yeah. You know, rotate through the front and the back. Kevin's been a socialist his whole life. Right. Man, that's and the way it I, rolls. and I, I, there's a, there's a beauty in that, you know, and, and obviously the hard part is like when you're using the old model, uh, the way we were, and then you change into the new model. I mean, it doesn't work for a ton of the staff, right? And so you end up with this mass exodus and that's a scary thing. Well, these, you know, six career wait staff who really carry the culture and the, the message of what we're doing and they take care of guests so well that we would lose all of those people if we switched to another, right? Right, right. I've lied in bed awake thinking about that and like, oh man, you know, and it, I just haven't been willing, I've been too scared to make that jump. But now, you know, coronavirus stepped in, didn't have a choice. We made the jump. The staff that we have are exactly as good in terms of taking care of the guests and holding on to the culture. And they take out the trash. Yeah. Right. All yeah. at the same time. And they're yeah. hum- humble. Everybody's humble, which I love. Yeah. I love that. That's how you roll. So catastrophic year for you and your family. For all of us, but you all, the unfathomable, just a huge, huge year. But prior to this year, you had a really intense situation at Bramble. Something that all of us who serve liquor run the risk and the challenge of what happens when you got people drinking and you're in your restaurant late night. But how was that experience with what went down at Bramble? How did that roll? This is long before COVID. Yeah. You had a shooting. Yeah. Um, ended in a death. No fault to Bramble. It's just people. Could have happened in any one of our restaurants in town. You know. Yeah. It, it was just. It's so surreal. How to describe that shooting? You know, we had a really good night of service, and a great night of service is you know is kind of intoxicating. It's fun. Brings the staff together. You know, we left being able to pat ourselves on the back. We're like, hey, this was really rocking night. We did, a, we had a great time, you know, really successful night of service. Jill and I made it home, um, lying in bed, and I got a call from my daughter. Screaming. Who was at the restaurant? She waited on the table of the shooter and the victim. Like seconds after it happened, she called us, you know, and like, and, and it was, you know, it, it was madness and chaos and you know and disbelief and we leapt out of bed and you know raced at 90 miles an hour back into the city and of course at this point you know it's 12 30 or or whatever it was at night and you're arriving back at a crime scene and we're arriving back at a crime scene and it's lit up like the fourth of july with lights everywhere and you know it's like a, a pendulum swinging from one end to the other like feeling so successful and then it becomes a horror film, right? It becomes just really, really horrific to see your staff go from being a little lighter than air, like, you know, being standing tall and, and, and feeling really good. And that smile that comes from a really deep place on the inside when they know that they're successful and things are going really, really well. And then you arrive and you see them like shake, literally shaking, you know, and obviously crying. And and were Ian and Avery working there as well? They were at Black Cat in the kitchen. One of them was in the kitchen, right? Yeah, they had all finished and had come home. 
you know, with us. Uh, Kelsey had been a host and he was cut early. And then Avery had worked in pastry. And so he was done early. The uh, boys had come home with us. It was just Morgan who was uh, working uh, late night shift that night. It's just so unfair, right? Just so completely unfair to, uh, to, to all of the staff to have to, you know, have their normal good lives. They earned all, all the good things, you know, around them. And to have this, you know, this lunatic, you know, come in and, and uh, hunt someone down and shoot him in the dining room. It's just, it's just, it's nonsensical. And, you know, it's so completely violated all of the all of the staff members, all of the customers who were there. I mean, these are just like like random good customers who've been with us for years who, uh, and then our place, instead of this place that they want to go to relax and, and, you know, be comforted, like, you know, the Bramble and Hare has always been kind of like a living room for a lot of, for a lot of our customers. It's like that, it's like that place that they can retreat to and really connect with and to have that turn into a horror film is just is so unfair and yeah. and wrong you know and and the the lasting effect of the shooting it's the same i think for all of the staff and and probably for the customers that were there loud noises sirens going off all those shocking things ptsd man and transport you right back to yeah. that to that spot again. Yeah, and uh, I know I know I know Morgan is still is still feeling the effects of it, and she manages really well. She's you know strong and and smart, and she has a, everything going for her, and she earns everything that she has going for her. She's great, but this is a bit you know it's a big this PTSD thing is big and it's bigger than us as people. Um, and it's through no fault of hers or anybody else's other than this, you know, this, you know, whack job with a gun. Like, what the hell? Yeah. So fast forward, we're at the farm. Lots of pods, lots of little wonderland that you've created out here. What are you doing for the holidays, which are this week and next week? And then how does the farm operate come the new year? Yeah. What are your plans? Well, you know, so the for the farming operation, it's actually largely like it always has been. You know, we have our our summertime crew has gone home. They're literally they're just a summertime crew and then around Thanksgiving or so, then they'll they all head back and then they'll be back in the spring. We have our wintertime crew and you know, the farm work consists mainly of harvesting vegetables. There's not a lot of planting that's happening right now. In fact there's no no planting is happening. You don't have to worry about weeds, too cold for weeds to grow. So we're, you know, harvesting spinach, harvesting escarole, things like that, uh, taking care of animals. We do most of the butchery of hogs and sheep and blah, blah, blah. It happens in the winter. You know, so we're doing a lot of that now. Yeah, farm is pretty much as it normally is. You know, restaurant, obviously, completely different. This should be our busy season. Obviously, it's not the busy season. You know, we still have our core group of employees that are here. We've worked really hard at heating. We have these individual little greenhouses, you know, with heat. And we've worked really hard at 
revising them as the temperature keeps dropping. We have to, you know, oh, it's not quite warm enough. Now we'll do the next next step up. Next, you know, add more heat, add more this. You know, instead of when <laughs> when what I built fails, it's not a throw it away. It's sure. a, let's revise. Gotta fix it. Yeah. yeah, fix it and revise. It's a boat that you're. You're, yeah, we're bailing and patching as we're yeah. as we're going. Uh, that's it. That's a great metaphor. Uh, it really is like that. And you know, uh, Jill and I ate in one of the uh, one of the little cabins, one of the greenhouses, on that first night when it was got down into single digits. And you know, the, each one has a wood stove in it and a propane heater as well. And I was in a sweater. It was really nice. nice. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. You know, I said to Jill, it's like, all right, if it's single digits right now, maybe we'll have to close if it's below zero. Uh, you know, if it's another 10 degrees colder outside or something like that. But, you know, if if we can do it on single digit nights all the way through the winter, maybe we only have to close two, three, two, three, four nights for the whole winter. Yeah. Like, I think we got it. I think, you know. No one's ever hoped for a... Uh for a non-snowy winter in Colorado, but we're all loving this is supposed to be 60 tomorrow. And yeah, you know, this mild winter is doing us a favor. Yeah. Not many favors this year, but we're yeah. getting it with the weather. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, so, so that's, you know, that's my plan. We're doing farm dinners. We only have, you know, our, our 10 tables, you know, that gets us around 24, 26 people, you know, each night or whatever. They sell out. It's great. The guests love it. This outdoor dining isn't for everyone. So, for example, you know, our bathroom is in a little building. It's heated, but we call it the necessary, you know, (laughs) because, you know, turns out the bathrooms are necessary. You know, if guests need to use the bathroom and there's somebody already there, you have to stand outside and wait. And that's pretty chilly, right? So that, you know, I, I know that this isn't a perfect solution for everyone, but it is for uh, enough people. We're sturdy. We're sturdy folks here in Colorado. We yeah, right. Dress dress accordingly and plan accordingly. You and know, we all go up to Vail and and sit outside. And sit and outside. And and yeah. Blah, blah, right. So, yeah, there are a lot of people for whom this is a, a really you know amazing dining experience. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. I, I think the way to think about it is that we've made like really amazing lemonade from some really sour lemons. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep revising these these cabins, keep making them a, a little bit better and a little bit better, and you know. And then next year, certainly COVID will be with us all the way through. You know, February, March, April. I expect zero change. Maybe things will loosen up a little bit in between now and and April. Maybe they won't. That's kind of a, a coin flip. You know, we'll keep doing farm dinners. You know, all the way through there. I really haven't thought that it makes much financial sense for us to open up the restaurant again, maybe in May of next year, maybe in June, you know, I think that it's going to be something like that before it really uh, starts to make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so instead of like hoping maybe next month we'll open up, like I'm, I'm not even planning on it until, until May. It's too distracting to play that game. I mean, the emotional exhaustion of all this is it's huge. So yeah. thanks for jumping on this. I know that you and Jill and Ian and Avery and Morgan have had just an unfathomable year with the Lasso Kels, and I hope you felt the Boulder love 
you all have been such an iconic part of this community and the, the real roots, the real fiber, the real good people of Boulder. I appreciate that. We, uh, yeah, we love you guys and it's going to be a long road, but we'll all get there. Yeah. Yeah. The community has been amazing. I, I can't even, for as bad as it is, I can't even imagine how much worse it would be if losing Kelsey happened in a place where, you know, where we're all anonymous to each other, you know, kind of one of those suburbs where everyone just kind of blends into nothingness or whatever, that the community came together. You know, death is like, and grieving is like falling into a hole. And, you know, and the blackness is is all encompassing. It's really, it's, in, it's intense and bad. And everyone has reached out and grabbed us and kept us from falling into that hole. Everyone. It's been amazing. Yeah. Really amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I know you scooped Morgan up from Portland this week. So you all will be together for Christmas and indeed hunkered down and uh, super excited about that. Yeah, I bet, man. I bet. Yeah. I'm I'm sweet talking Morgan into I need a greenhouse employee. I'm hoping I can I'm trying to recruit Morgan to be my greenhouse yeah. technician. So much for Portland. Time. So much for her Portland State educational endeavors. <laughs> where, my, where my daughter went to school. Yep. I love Portland. Morgan doesn't know it, but her Christmas present is uh, flip flops, so she can work in the greenhouse. In the greenhouse, yeah. Yep. All, yeah. All nice. winter long. Nice. All right, my brother. Well, best to you and the family, and have a great holiday. And thanks for jumping on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, bro. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Chef Eric from Black Cat Farm. Black Cat is doing a farm stand at 4975 J Road. That is open every day or most days, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., weather permitting. Give a shout out to their website. That website is blackcatboulder.com. They're doing dinners at the farm, farm dinners, private events. Really romantic, beautiful setting out on Nelson Road, north of town. Really perfect way to start dinner. Take a slow ride out there, listen to some good tunes. Do whatever you do to take a nice slow drive and end up at the farm. Eric's such a phenomenal chef. Uh, Their staff, Jill and the families out there, putting it all together. And I guarantee you all, you'll have a a wonderful time. It'd be great for all of us to support these folks throughout the winter until this craziness wanes, this winter of our pandemic lives. Hope all y'all have a really safe holiday, a safe New Year's. Keep the family close and tight. Try and take good care of yourselves. Maybe reach for that that green tea and that frosty mug of root beer instead of that delicious Cabernet and that awesome freshly shaken margarita every night. (laughs) It's a balance. Special thanks to Stanton Sutton for providing us with music and editing. Appreciate y'all listening in and we will talk to you soon. (laughs) 